Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Podcast Strikes Back. My name is George and you're listening to the weekly movie show with the boys, Connor. Sup? And Benny. Hello there. Sponsored by Zoom, with the power of Zoom, it's week two in isolation for the Podcast Strikes Back. And Are uh, you allowed to say that? Nah. Oh yeah, I, I'm allowed to say whatever the fuck I want. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so... <laughs> Here we are. I'm sorry we're a day late. Uh, Connor and I experienced some um, hiccups along the way. Connor, you were a little bit unwell this week. Uh-oh. Yeah. Um, so I found out that the symptoms of severe heartburn mimic the symptoms of COVID-19. <laughs> so I was hacking up my lungs and like, you know, had a sore chest and went to the doctor oh, like, I'm dying. Just give it to me straight. And he's like, no, nah, you've got heartburn. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'll fuck off then. I'm just a statistic. I'm just a statistic, yeah. Doc. Yeah, and then um, I was doing some vocals on the weekend because I've cracked out my old audio setup and just like started to, you know, try and do some creative stuff. I think at this time in, in, in at home, you need to kind of exercise these different areas of your mind. So I, I was doing these vocals and um, I co- totally blew out my voice because I haven't sung in so long and, and whatnot. So... um. I sounded terrible um, earlier this week. So I I just didn't want to, you know, I know my voice is kind of annoying and that's probably not the best thing for a podcast, but I didn't want to add that extra level of edge and and, uh, unpleasantness to the podcast. So, hey, here we are. It is uh, Wednesday and what an episode we have. As I said, week two in isolation and we're mixing things up. We've got a few headlines this week, um, which is pretty cool. Um, Hearing Black Widow, we've got some more concrete stuff on how that is being released. Some stuff about Artemis Fausto, some Disney releases there. Um, Plus, later on the episode, we're going to be giving our uh, top three zombie quarantine picks that's right. We're going to go one by one and just list off some uh, zombie flicks we've watched in the downtime. But before all that, let's catch up on what everyone's been watching. Benny, it's been another week. What have you been up to? What has been on your televisor, dude? So I mentioned last week that I um, I flew through the first season of Fleabag in like uh, one sitting right before recording the episode. Um, I was just so, so enamored with it. Um, that as soon as we stopped recording, as I think I alluded to, I watched the entire second season straight away, second and final season, um, which I wasn't entirely aware of. Um, and I just got to say, I I haven't been this blown away by like a single piece of media in so long. Um, I, I really think there should be a disclaimer at the beginning that says there's only 12 episodes of this and there will only ever be 12 episodes of this. Because um, the first season came out in uh, in 2016, I believe. It was based on her one-woman show second season came like three years later when I guess she was ready to make like a sequel. Um, but there's, there's no plans to ever make any more. So it's just, and, and where it ends, you really want some more too. Um, not in an incomplete way, just in a, like, I need more of this. Um, I have some great news for you. Oh, I have no. some yes, really no. good news for you. It's the it's this yes. is the English this is what this is what I'm talking about. The English pedigree. None of this American seventeen seasons, twenty three <laughs> episodes, twelve episodes of pure brilliance. Same with Faulty Towers. This is the good stuff. Uh-huh. But don't worry, bro. Around the corner, couple years time, Christmas special. Maybe even a couple. <laughs> maybe even you'll get two. Maybe you get one five years later. But hundred yeah. percent, that's coming through. Don't you I worry. I love the irony. Of talking about like the English pedigree, where one of the like longest 
running series of all time is an English show. Doctor Who has been around for ages. And if you're talking like pedigree, I mean. Yeah, and it's been going on forever and they should have stopped it a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> not going to respond to any of that. Actually, I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings out there. Um, we got to stick up for the Doctor Who people. Anyway, sorry. That, please continue, Benny. Fever Waller Bridge, right? Yes. Yep. Um, writer, director, creator. Okay. Amazing. Um, and I've actually since watched the first season again. Um, and I'm wow. not huge into rewatching. Yeah. So I, I head over heels in love with this what show. What platform it is that on? My highest recommendation. It's on um, Amazon Prime, um, the whole thing. We're going to be talking about at Amazon Prime a lot this week, actually, because I'm smashing through their stuff. Um, and on on the other side, I went for a bit of Stan and decided with all this free time to finally finish up um, uh, Adventure Time. I, um, I was a massive fan of that show right from the very beginning. And eventually, it just became really hard to follow the series because the last couple of seasons had very irregular release schedules. Um, and it was very hard to track down where to watch it. So I just completely fell off. And with a show that steeped in, in continuity, believe it or not, for people who aren't super familiar with Adventure Time, um, it's very dense lore. Um, I, uh, it very, I found it very hard to ever revisit it. But seeing as the entire 300 episodes are on stand right now, um, I decided to try and jump back in somewhere comparable to where I left off. Uh, and I finally finished the series. I have never watched a single episode of adventure time hmm. i couldn't tell you what it's about i couldn't all i know it is immensely popular yeah i remember um, one time i was watching it was it was a two-parter end of one of the seasons and they go to this other dimension and hmm. dude it was trippy as shit and it freaked me the fuck out and i couldn't watch hmm. adventure time after that it was it was wow. so it was like I, do you know which season that is i think it's season 5 or something it was really in it the thick of right. and, and there was the like lich? yeah and they were like square or there's like another alternative reality version of them oh, yeah insane it gets crazy um yeah i i really can't um overstate how well they 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 wove uh eight seasons of continuity um or 10 seasons, what is it? Um, but it's, it's, I'm so impressed by it. And the, the finale, a, a 45 minute finale, which the episodes are generally 11 minutes long, um, was probably the most satisfying television finale I've ever seen in my life. Um, I'm so impressed by everything that they did with that show over its entire run. And the, um, the, the great news is that Pendleton Ward, the creator, has a new show coming out on Netflix. I was literally um, about to ask if you had seen um, this month, I think. Yep, which I'm very interested in. And after two years of being off the air, Adventure Time is coming back for a few specials on HBO Max. So I'm just uh, really winning right now for Adventure Time stuff. Very cool. George, have you seen the Midnight Gospel trailer? Um, Listen, there's been a couple of these. I'm just looking at it now. I haven't seen it, I don't think, but this art style looks incredible. I tagged you on on Facebook a while ago, but that's that's fine. Hey. (laughs) Hey, come well, on. Then, if there's ever a I'll way to you on something. George won't watch something. <laughs> I, listen, you can't call me on this, mate. That's your designation on this podcast, all right? I'm and at least, I, I might I'm at least one I might layer up from you. To things. I'm, I'm, I might I'm one layer to up. things, but I watch it. Yeah, how is St. Maud? <laughs> at least I'm honest. Mm, yeah, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Okay, yeah, Adventure Time, shit. That's a blast from the past, man. Hmm. Yeah. Got nothing else, else to say. No, that was it. <laughs> is that all you've watched? About you, George? 700 episodes of Adventure Time. Is that all you've watched this week? Jesus. I've baby. been playing. You disappoint so me. I'm working nine videos. to five still, and what the fuck have you been doing? <laughs> it's Fire of the Dragon. <laughs> Again. Connor. Tell us what you've been watching, bro, other than those zombie movies. Um, yeah, watch some zombie movies. Uh, a lot of just like revisiting um, old series. Um, I, I've been with my fiance, I've been re watching Archer, um, which is a series that I always kind of forget how much I enjoy that series. Um, and I just think that it's really clever writing. <laughs> like it's the subject matter is crude and it's, it's, you know, um, uh, it's a bit, you know, out there, but I just, the, the, the way that they write through their scenes and there's a, like an ongoing joke about how one, the beginning of one scene is the answer to a question in the last scene. And that kind of, you know, goes throughout the entire series and it is so fucking clever. And I don't think that series gets enough credit for that kind of writing. Um, so yeah, re, re going through that, um, also finished up season two of Miracle Workers, which is the Daniel Radcliffe and Steve Buscemi, um, series on Stan. Uh, the first one was the series around how God wanted to destroy earth. Um, and God was played by Steve Buscemi, um, which is a cool little series. Um, the season two just took the same actors um, and some very loose concepts from the first one um, and set them in medieval times, um, which I thought it was a very kind of clever. It's almost like an anthology style um, thing. Everyone's sort of playing different roles, right? Yeah, different roles. Um, some like the main kind of, I guess, um, story arcs are somewhat similar, um, more or less, um, but not, not in any ways that feel kind of forced, I suppose. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, could just, I could just hear you sign, George. <laughs> what? Yeah, I'm sorry. breathing so loud, George. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Let me turn the <laughs> mic down. So this aggressive. is like... It's like going to be think, really invasive on people's I, ears. I don't, I don't oh, normally have... Talking again. Huh? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't normally have it like in my ears. Yeah, yeah. I don't normally have it like in my ears. Is that better now? Anyways. Um, yeah, that we can hear you. a little bit like... <laughs> um, <laughs> you tell me anyway. You guide me on this, um, people. Yeah, so season two... Well worth checking out. Um, I think they just wrapped up um, on Stan. Um, and finally, I watched a movie that's been out for quite a while, but I never really got to, which was uh, Sully, which was the um, Clint Eastwood-directed uh, movie about Captain Sullenberger um, and the Miracle on the Hudson. Um, it's, I don't know. It's, these kind of movies always always give me a bit of um, a bad taste in the mouth because it's about, you know, it's about 200 seconds, right? Like it's, it's the, this whole thing can take, you know, um, 
uh, spans 200 seconds about when he took or when they hit the birds and then they got to get off to the um, land on the Hudson and that. And I just feel like these kinds of movies are always a little bit, I don't know what the, like how to describe it. It's the, um, the Boston Marathon movie that Mark Wahlberg did or like the disaster movies that just kind of focus on one and they, they're always, you know, waving the flag and it always just feels a bit icky. Like they're kind of profiteering off tragedy or, or something like that. Exploitative. That's the one. Um, so so I'm always a bit... not become exploitative? Like what's the duration of time? Uh, I don't even know that it's time, right? Like it's, it, it's, it's hard. It's, it's just, it's, it's kind of very, it's very hard to describe. It's, it's just kind of a feeling, right? Like you just kind of get the sense that, you know, this is just exploiting a, a you know, a, a small or a big or, or like a, a, a specific point in time. Anyways, um, I did check this out. Um, and it wasn't nearly as, egregious on that by George <laughs> wasn't nearly as egregious on that front as I thought it was going to be. Um, I thought that Tom Hanks did a really good job. Um, I thought that, um, they did a really good job of building this kind of, um, like, I guess fear, like it, you, you kind of got the sense like you got the stress. Um, and so, yeah, I, 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 I thought it was a really good film. Um, it did feel as though that they were padding it out a bit because there wasn't that much to explore, um, which did make it feel a little less impactful. Um, but uh, I think the the acting and the atmosphere um, gets uh, gets it a pass. I just can't work up the energy to watch a Clint Eastwood movie. Yeah. I feel like he's um, just a, a bit past it, <laughs> quite a bit. Yeah. I mean, it's, they, they always kind of take themselves a little bit too seriously, don't they? Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that can work in his favor and then that sometimes can feel a bit, um, iffy, but this is something that I would definitely say is worth checking out just to kind of see Tom Hanks act to, um, I guess feel a bit of the, um, anxiety of the situation which i thought he also the main guy's name is sullen burger which is pretty fun yep so you always got that (laughs) Hmm. what about you georgie i was mainly focused on the zombie movies which was quite enjoyable we'll talk about that a little bit later um but i checked out as part of me purchasing the rise of skywalker um, I checked out the two-hour documentary attached to it and um, actually kind of watched it almost twice, just skimmed through a few parts again. And, uh, man, this was, you know, I was saying to Ben the other day, you know, you, you just don't appreciate the the amount of effort it takes to do just the smallest of sequences, even Ray at the beginning jumping over in the forest, jumping over that canyon and over to the other side, you know, seeing how that is all set up, sculpted, the stunt coordinator managing it, getting the take on set. You know, it's absolutely phenomenal when you think about the amount of personnel involved in these films. And, you know, sometimes we, you know, we just go, ah, you know, it's, it's crap, you know. Or Very whatever, spoiled. But yeah, exactly. That's exactly the word. Um, and it would just, it just made me reflect on like, you know, 
it maybe the story doesn't work on a film, but the craft sometimes can often just there's so much attention to detail in 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 these other areas of film. So yeah, it's it's an incredible piece. Um, I'd say all the both the Rise of Skywalker and this documentary are really fantastic. This one is a little more by the numbers. It's like here's this sequence and this is how we did it kind of thing. Um, whilst in in the the last Jedi one is so focused on Ryan Johnson in his headspace, it's a really actually a fascinating watch. A high recommend from me. But um, yeah, just pretty kind good of, metaphor for the films themselves, I guess. Dude, and, and it's so the documentary is so in the headspace of pre Last Jedi. You know, there's no there's no backlash. There's no the Star Wars right, fan yeah. base is divided. You know. This is like we're in goodwill territory. We're in, we've had Force Awakens in Rogue One territory, you know. Um, mm. So, you know, for in terms of, you know, maybe maybe not on your uh, Richter scale, but, you know, on the general fan, Star Wars fan, you know, a lot of people were pretty happy at that time. And then when Last Jedi came out, that's where everything really got crazy. Yeah. I think it's, you make a really good point about, um, not kind of considering what goes into a lot of these films now, like these big, um, like these big pieces, like Hollywood blockbuster films. Um, you know, I think we've had enough really good films that have put had a lot of effort put into them that mediocrity is not quite cutting it for a lot of people anymore. And for better or for worse, um, you know, that what goes along with that is even if there's the slightest you know, mistake or kind of loss of attention or they didn't have enough time to fin- finish something, people come down on it like a ton of bricks, right? Um, you know, we were all pretty harsh on Panther because the um, effects work on that. We all thought it was pretty shoddy. Um, but, I mean, if you compare that to something that came out 10 years ago, that's a fucking masterpiece in terms of special effects. And, and so I just... I Depends on what I, you're talking about. I think that's... I mean, true, but I think I, I think it's just really interesting what you mentioned about how how spoiled we are with, um, with movies now. I think one of the most interesting <laughs> things that that Corridor Crew show on YouTube, uh, which if you haven't watched, everyone listening, get your ass on that. Um, I'm sure you have. Uh, but the, what the general sentiment was like, you know, back in the day, everyone was picking and choosing their battles way more and the shot list for VFX have just skyrocketed. And, you know, the more shots, quality over quantity essentially. And, you know, we've got some really timeless stuff. A film talking about later for me, I, I know it actually doesn't really classify as CGI, but, you know, when you nail it, even Terminator 2, I feel like that is still pretty damn timeless, you know. I think it looks mm. pretty damn good. And it's only sort of 40 shots or it's 12 shots or something, you know. It's a, it's a handful. Um, and, and, then, and then, you know, capabilities get et cetera, et cetera. And, and now we, here we are and we get Sonic the Hedgehog. Yeah, you know, fuck. Good shit. Anyway, that's about it for me. Um, we'll talk about the zombie movies later, but let's catch up on a few news releases from the week. Um, last week we had nothing to talk about, and this thing, this week we got like five things to talk about. So, uh, Ben, sort of. as yep. our main man with the knowledge, tell us what's been going on, dude. Uh, so yeah, as you mentioned, we finally had kind of a break in silence for what is happening in Hollywood. Disney has come out and kind of laid out 
their entire plan going forward from here, um, more or less. Um, the big place I want to start with is, of course, the MCU, because this is the one we're all wondering about. Black Widow is one of the last um, kind of pillars of the blockbuster season to fall and withdraw its um, release date. And we're all wondering, you know, is this going to go straight to Disney Plus, straight to on demand, some kind of streaming service? Um, or are they going to wait all of this out and wait it out? They are going to. Um, they're not half measuring it like uh, putting this in June or anything. They've taken the Eternals release date of, uh, what have we got, November 9th. Um, so they're pushing all the way to the end of the year and thus kind of bumping the entire MCU one movie back um, moving forward, um, which is, you know, there's positives and negatives to it, I guess. Yeah, it makes sense. Disney has so far stuck to their guns in terms of having a lot of their big name releases maintain on film. And I don't mean that in just in, in relation to COVID. I mean, they are pretty adamant that their main, you know, their blockbusters are going to have theatrical, full run theatrical releases um, and then they'll adapt to s streaming way down the line. Um, and that's not to say that they don't have a streaming strategy, um, obviously with their um, Disney Plus um, pieces. But um, yeah, I think it... it it's impressive to see how much they are sticking to their guns and they're just like, nah, this is getting its full theatrical release. We'll wait six months if we have to. I think it's um, a really interesting strategy. And, you know, I, I, my day job is working in a marketing agency and we're seeing so many different people react in so many different ways. And, you know, historically, um, you know, like when brands continue to advertise in these times, you know, they're very front of mind. And, you know, right now there's no entertainment, you know, like people are like other than Tiger King, which is, I think Netflix's most viewed show ever in the first 14 days ever, wow. you know, are there opportunities here where there's very, very low competition? People are hungry and they've got their eyes stuck on a screen. You know, is there an opportunity here for big Disney to, to acquire 5 million extra subscribers by making Disney plus the, the front and center? I am actually really surprised on this UFC. Um, Connor and I are big fans and they're pivoting in a really, really interesting way. And, you know, there's not going to be an audience there, but there's, they're going to be filming the fights and live streaming them. So it's like, you know, they're pivoting, they're doing their thing. I, I wonder like, you know, Disney, uh, this seems, you know, you're in a big lumbering ship when you're in Disney. You know, this is a huge entity and it makes sense that they'd kick it down the line because they are of that sort of old world um, business mentality if we're comparing it to something like the UFC which is a lot more new age a bit more rapid fire a bit more agile so it's just interesting to see th this way and I think a massive massive missed opportunity especially Disney Plus just launched in Europe and shit like come on guys this is global now I, I, they I need think something crazy. for those other markets because um, the, the months old Mandalorian episodes ain't going to cut it considering everyone's definitely already seen them already I'm done. over there. Um, Mike, Disney Plus is still not resubscribed. Same. Yeah. I think that it is interesting. Um, and I, I don't even know that it's a bad strategy, if I'm to be honest. The, their 
what they're doing is they're making event films and they're really like, if they're, if your strategy is to make event films, then you almost have to kind of stick to your guns. Um, and I think that if you devalued the brand by putting it straight onto Disney plus, um, then, you know, I think you're doing yourself a disservice. And I think that you are tainting, um, that, uh, that kind of air of having these films be event films. Um, they are probably going to have to take you know, that dive eventually, for, though, and this does seem like a decent opportunity for it. I mean, yes, there is the point of view that it devalues these movies, and to a lot of people that would be the case. Um, there would also be the point that, that Georgia kind of made, that it would severely like value Disney+, Plus, which is something they probably really want to be doing at this point. And I, I do think... For people like us, there is a big difference for, between something releasing cinematically and something at home. But for, for a lot of people, you know, their big event is like Stranger Things season three um, coming to Netflix. Mm. Um, and that I'm, certainly, I'm, if you scroll through Facebook, that certainly does seem like an event. Yeah. And I think that but that's, they have a strategy for that, right? Like they've got their property that they've curated for that kind of um, release. So they've got all their properties like WandaVision and Falcon and, and Captain America, all that kind of shit. Mm. I think that for them, they don't they want to have that play out. They they probably have a strategy where those titles are going to be released at a certain time or like are going to be entering the market in a certain time. And they want to maintain the differentiation between those kinds of properties and their event properties. So I mean like George, you're right. In the short term, they would probably get a shit ton of subscribers if they released Black Widow on Disney+. Plus. Um, but what I think they're hoping for is that they'll get a shit ton of subscribers with some of their titles that are coming out soon and the revenue from these event films. And let's say in the example of like the exact same scenario, but there's no COVID-19, you know, there's no reason for them to not... Uh, continue like they're going to go business as usual but in this in this um you know in this timeline that we're in i sometimes feel like actually on another whole other note, i feel like i'm wearing some like the mandala effect or something some crazy shit's going on and that, anyway Dark, let's talk about that. it's definitely like yeah i mean it, it, you're kind of right like that right, fucking right. george like, bell shit like, like i don't want to bring that real. up but fuck george you Pell. shouldn't bring it fuck up that motherfucker. you definitely um, definitely shouldn't bring uh, it up but that i was like am i in am i in another reality like what is going on right now it was blowing my mind anyway um we're talking about black widow and uh, just to just to dial it back a bit um what do you guys feel more generally about the mcu being probably permanently delayed or everything that we know in the MCU upcoming has been delayed, including the TV shows. I'm, I'm not I too quite a lot. disappointed about it. Um, I think that some, like, with all these um, properties uh, that have had these kinds of delays and have had this kind of fuck-ups, MCU has been pretty consistent. And I've got to say, like, having it happen to the MCU because of something like a global ban- pandemic, I'm willing to cut them some slack for it. I'm kind <laughs> of like, I'm surprised this, this kind of shit hasn't happened already. Like we had a little bit of it with um, Guardians being uh, delayed and, and throwing a wrench in, in, their, um, in their works there. And they deserve that wrench because they, they fucking did it to themselves. But um, yeah, I just, 
for me, it's kind of like the fact that this, this kind of thing hasn't happened sooner, uh, you know, okay. Yeah. I couldn't give two shits to be honest. Um, that's fair. You were, you were talking about being spoiled and I feel like the last time we had one MCU movie in a year was like 2010, 2011 i'm just so. yeah i'm just more pissed off that like so yeah. I, I i got sidetracked on my thing but what i was saying is like you know it, it right now what is being released you know why is why is tiger king ranking in those kind of metrics because everyone's fucking at home and actually i'm seeing on a lot of other people anecdotally you know podcasts and other things you know are not being listened to as much because people aren't commuting and stuff and um, actually people are watching more high quality, you know, video games, movies, high production TV show. People are spending their time doing that now at home. So why not leverage this, this scenario? Um, does, do I sound completely terrible right now? Is it skipping and stuff? No, no, you're good. Okay, cool. I just sound like I'm getting all this stuff in my ears. But yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Like, yes, okay, they've got this strategy and stuff. I completely agree with you, Connor Aids. And as I said, this is a big lumbering <laughs> ship. Disney aren't going to be able to probably pivot that quick. Um, there's too much red tape. See, I, but they, I don't think it's an issue of pivoting. I think it's they are they have a strategy and they are sticking to it because they think like I th- there's a lot of if you're that big, it's not just a matter of what you can't pivot. You just sometimes don't want to. They're the big swinging dick, right? Like they've got a strategy, and they're going to be COVID be damned. We're we're sticking to it. Um, I would say this is kind of the opposite, like, though, to a degree, because I would have thought, and I, I've said this in episodes previous, that they would have much been much more likely to stick to their schedule because they've planned out the next you know five years of Marvel movies. So mm. for me, seeing them switch away from that, I think, is a huge move that that kind of surprised me. Yeah, there's probably more um, and, of a knock-on effect on the on the production side of things as compared to the um, you know the distribution side of things. Yeah, but yeah, you've just and, said and, it right there, right? Like they're planning five years ahead, so for them, that brand equity, like that, the you know how you view these event films, really matters. And mm-hmm. I think that they are already fighting a battle that you know the only reason that they're able to have these like event films be as successful as they are um, is because they are maintaining that kind of event brand. So for me, I think that this is, this is them kind of saying we were fighting streaming before. If we're going to hold that position after this all, you know, calms down, we need to maintain that position during. So I, I, I don't necessarily, like, I think that for them, for the MCU, yeah, they delay six months, but that's not going to, that, that's not going to bankrupt Disney or anything like that. Um, you know, hopefully not. Um, so I, I don't see this as being for them a big loss. And, and in terms of, you know, the, the potential opportunity in terms of um, getting subscribers to Disney plus, they might see um, that as not outweighing the potential damage to their brand. I completely agree. Um, I just think the narrative that you can form from, wow, Disney did this and the conversation that can come up and the way people can perceive Disney Plus moving forward, it, see, it seems like a really, really nice opportunity for them. But I do agree with you. You know, it does make sense. You know, they don't want to devalue the cinematic experience and that's out the window for, could be, could be 12 months. 
who the fuck knows what's going to happen with COVID-19. Speaking of devaluing the cinematic experience, um, we also have had a bunch of analysts this week um, coming out and saying that AMC, the largest theatre chain in the world, um, could be facing bankruptcy um, very soon um, in this in this whole ordeal because last year they were already in $5 billion debt. I think the company was um, valued at around $300 million, $500 billion in debt. Um, so that's insane. Um, and they, their credit rating, I think, has been reduced to C, C, C minus. I don't know, Dick, about credit ratings, but that doesn't sound like a good one. Um, it's not good. It's not and good. yeah, I, yeah, a, a lot of these people are saying that um, they they could be filing for bankruptcy. Wow. Which, um, as I said, largest theatre chain in the world. So that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out because they're not opening anytime soon, I feel. So Apple's going to buy Disney and then Disney's going to buy <laughs> AMC and Apple's just going to own everything. Yeah, Apple's going to buy the world. Batman. Yeah. Possible. Crazy. Um, yeah, that's wild to think about. I mean, that that's going to be one of the big questions, right? You know, and, and this kind of relates to what we just talked about in terms of, you know, uh, cinema release revenue. There might not be as many theaters. Like they might not be able to release it in as many yeah. theaters. So it is um, cool to see them kind of supporting the, the cinematic release still because Lord knows we want that to stay around as much as possible. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, it's wild. Um, so just kind of relating to, to the MCU just a little bit as more, um, uh, we just found out that Black Widow has um, dropped their composer, Alexandre Desplat, for Lorne Balfe, which is very minor news. I'm sure you guys don't care about it either. <laughs> Oh, except the music did I'm kind of sound on the trailer, didn't it? But, but, but what I think is interesting about this is that they're doing this. I assume they wouldn't be doing this if they were holding to their April release, which means yeah. they are taking steps to kind of um, improve upon, I guess, Massage. would be their, their goal here. This, this film, which um, for the MCU as a whole and this movie, I think is really cool that they are taking this extra time that they suddenly have and trying to improve the product. Yeah, and one of the things interesting it about does this make is me, that, oh. um, sorry, Connor, um, I'm going to take this one, mate. Um, what's interesting about Andre Display and Disney is he left Rogue One really late in the, the process, <laughs> and Michael Giacchino right, came on board, and now again moving into the Marvel universe. And I think Display is really one of the best going around. Uh, Maybe so he's a prick. I mean, he's he's French, so. You know, <laughs> sorry. Do we have any Frenchies listening to us? Actually, my cousins, sure are my cousins are French and I love French food and I love France. So I'm just having a joke. Enjoy it. You saved it. Yeah, exactly. There we go. Um, so, yeah, I. Uh, that's it. That's it. That's all I've got to say on that matter. Yeah, I don't really know anything about Lorne Bell I'm, except he's one of um, Hans Zimmer's cronies. I. My interest in this is mostly around um, the the concept of like, did they get to a release date and just did someone in that team, in that executive team think, I'm not a fan of the music, but we don't have enough time. So let's just go. Or did they decide to change the date and then they went back and they were like, all right, well, let's find something to improve. Um, because both have, I think... Uh, I'm not really comfortable with either scenario. If they had stuff that they wanted to 
uh, or that they didn't like when they were going to release it, it's kind of upsetting that, you know, that, um, you know, that they were going to release a product that they felt was subpar, which I understand you have to, yeah, you have to get to a deadline. Like that's always going to be the case. Um, but I would be even more upset if it was the other way around, I think, because, you know, if they were just like, oh, let's just change something because we should probably improve it somehow. And they were kind of like searching for things. And then what ends up is not what they had in mind or what they kind of initially thought they were going to release. Um, and I feel like that can kind of sometimes, if you overanalyze and you spend too much time on a, on a project, it can kind of just get icky. Like you can always find problems with stuff and then you just overanalyze. Oh yeah, they say art's never finished, just abandoned. So I, yeah. I feel like the answer probably lies somewhere in the middle of all these things. At any rate, mm. I, I would like to be optimistic and say that they're just trying to make the best possible product they can like from an artistic standpoint. Yeah. And maybe Despot yeah. doesn't like working in that Disney system. I think there is something there. You know, why would he be off these two projects so late in the game? Maybe he's a prick. Well, I mean, he again, he wouldn't have been. Yeah, I mean, you've already brought that to the table, all right? So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, ben, it is one little piece of news. So, yeah, the, the last part of this whole thing that I thought was interesting was that Artemis Fowl um, is heading directly to Disney+. Plus. Um, I, I'm really looking go, forward George. to us reviewing that because we're definitely doing nope. a review. Nope. 100%. Um, 100%. Yeah, I was... You're going to give me your password, one of you, whoever's got it. <laughs> I don't have one. <laughs> I don't think any of us have Disney Plus anymore. Oh, damn it. Mm. Nah, that's content. That's hashtag um, content. We gotta, guys, if you want to hear us uh, at Artemis Fowl Review, hit us up on any of the social medias. Yeah, no, I, th- I think I think it's a smart decision. Um, that that feels like a straight to um, you know Disney Plus movie, anyways. Um, as much as I wish that they that it wasn't, because you know I loved Artemis Fowl as a kid. Um, this so does you feel like there it's, are it's, it's areas that they can make exceptions to their valuing of cinematic releases. So, I suppose there's for them when I talk about event cinema, it's like Artemis Fowl is not an event I'll piece, right? When I talk about... Yeah, I'm sure I'm they would intend event, it to be, though. Eh. I mean, I, I think that they would What's know... What's the budget? That Someone look up the budget for it. I'll look it up now. <laughs> not George. It's going to come out as like 400 million or something. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, so, I mean, I'm talking about like your Star Wars films. I'm talking about your MCU films. Those are the kinds of films that I think that they would consider event films and that they're going to be uncompromising in terms of um, theatrical release. Mm. You're well, 125 I think the main factor this probably is is um, that the movie's just probably not very good and the, mm. the response to it was quite overwhelmingly negative, I think. Um, and, George, you said $125 million? Correct. Yeah, so yeah, not a not so a small it, amount. Yeah, it's not a surprising move on their part. Um, I don't think it interferes with their their strategy of event films um, getting full theatrical releases, uh, um, and in fact, it kind of supports it. Right, they're more than willing to bring that content on Disney Plus if it's you know one of kind of their regular theatrical releases. I think that this move by Disney periodically makes Disney Plus look like a bit of a shit shit dumping ground 
Um, yeah. So whilst when 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 the MCU shows come out, yeah, we're back to normal once Mandalorian season two. <laughs> yeah, we've got we're we're back on a good course. But from now until then, Disney Plus is perceived to be the shit dumping ground, and I'm out. I'm out, and I'm not going to be hanging around until those shows come out. So you know, once Europe and these other territories get their little taste and realize, hey, I didn't want to really see The Little Mermaid for the 18th time. Um, you know, having that's great, but I'm not really using it. You know, I, I think that it's interesting how this is going to play out. Um, and I'd actually, I, I'd like to have a look to see um, how Disney's Plus subscribers are going to go um, by, by mid-year and, and beyond. I bet you it's spiked now. I'd be very I'll curious. I bet you with, with the, the amount of, with the amount of parents that have kids at home that they need to entertain, fuck man. With the Disney, Disney of, Plus is a is a gold mine for that shit. With the amount of people knowing that Artemis Fowl is coming out and it's exclusive to Disney Plus, shit. The hordes, bro. The servers went down. I heard it was crazy. <laughs> um, so there was a noticeably <laughs> absent film. From um, from Disney's reshuffle, um, which is the um, the ever ever delayed New Mutants, um, which does not have a, a cinematic release date or a digital release date, um, it's just not um, not there currently. Um, I'm uh, surely that's going to be dumped on demand or on streaming or something eventually. But um, it did remind me of the interesting back if you if you cast your mind back a few years to when uh, when we had movies being released with release dates um this week was actually meant to mark the release of the new mutants and the cyborg movie from dc yes i remember tagging you in that last week so Mm. so heads up to george on that one (laughs) (laughs) um so that's just a fun little throwback to a time when uh, dc had a plan to make a bunch of movies (laughs) which um as we've seen has completely fallen into disarray um but in a way that's worked out much better for them just interesting Joss Whedon ruined it, mate. <laughs> they released a Snyder yeah. Cut. Um, He's still posting stuff about that, by the way. Like actively. Snyder. Yeah, he did a live stream commentary. On, mm, it was awesome. Just in so many ways boggles my mind. It's great. It's, it, it kind of feels like one of those things, but like just let it go, man. Fuck. I honestly think the guy's actually going through a lot of trauma right now. He lost his daughter. I think he's going through a really dark time in his life. I truly believe that. Because how when you look at Zack Snyder's release schedule of films, he was on a mission from 2005 when he released 300. I swear every two to three years, there was another feature and like, his his features are labor intensive. There's not like a little, mm. you know, a little. Oh, oh, we shot it in three weeks. No, these are fucking big shit. So I think he's going through a really tough time, um, and I wish him all the best because a lot of people shit on Zack Snyder. I've definitely been one of those people, but I think he's actually one of the most talented people. And as we said earlier in the podcast, you know, appreciating these different elements of filmmaking, he definitely has his style and he does it extremely well. So um, all the best to him. But yeah, that Vero social media platform that he's trying to get off the ground, yeah, fuck off with that, dude. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll you know, let's, let's call it a day there. Wait a high road, Georgie. <laughs> yeah, fucking what? 
<laughs> bring up the death of his daughter as like some kind of fuck you mitigating factor to his shit films. <laughs> okay. Yeah, neither of us were being unsympathetic to the fact that he, you know, yeah, he has some tragedy in his life, but fuck me. <laughs> no, I just think I, it's just an interesting commentary. You know, it's um, it's what I've noticed over the past. I've been like following him like quite closely in his behavior, and it's 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 quite it, it upsets me. You know, he's got a Netflix film on the way, doesn't he? Zombies, right? Oh yeah, I think you're right. Um. Are you guys bummed that we haven't got our cyborg movie? Yeah, no. yeah, that character was <laughs> that character showed so much promise, and no, I really, I, you know, in the cartoon Teen Titans, was he was really he was an awesome character, and I loved him. So when yeah. the Justice League one, when Joss Whedon's Justice League came out, you know, there was nothing to the character. So what what can you do with? With that, you know, I'm, I mean, I, I, well, you know, I mean, the DCEU in saying that DCEU has shown that Aquaman it can exist independently in of itself with a totally different mechanisms with the way even the world works. So, you know, they can discard everything that's happening, have the same actors. So may, maybe Cyborg could have worked, but it's it's a dime a dozen in the DCEU, you know. I think it was initially rumored to be a cyborg and flash team up movie. Um, that flash movie is still on the slate, but that's seeming less and less likely, especially given this Did week. You see this stuff that um, came out the Ezra, video of Ezra Miller. Yeah. Um, seemingly, uh, choking a woman and throwing her to the ground in a bar in Reykjavik. Um, very, very oh, strange. It's not a Ezra good look. Miller kind of just oozes unlikability, doesn't he? <laughs> he was so perfect for he that. He really oh. does. And he, <laughs> he tries to high road people. Like, you kind of get that sense that he kind of thinks he's better than you type thing. And you're like, oh, this is not a good look on that. Hmm. Oh, I mean, he is definitely better than us, but still, that doesn't give him license to be he's like way that. Better, he's way better than us, but, you know, still <laughs> fuck him. Um. <laughs> Um, so another, uh, another part of the industry is adapting to this current climate. South by Southwest, my personal favorite film festival in the world is heading, uh, to Amazon prime this month. Um, so basically all of the films that were programmed in for this festival that takes place in Austin, Texas, um, <laughs> will now have the opportunity. The directors can, can opt in to show them on Amazon, uh, prime, uh, for free. Um, they will get so the a, a fee. They'll get a screening fee. Um, and Amazon will have no rights over the film. They'll still be able to shop them out to distributors. So it's just a screening platform. You won't even need to be a Prime member. You can just have an Amazon account, a free Amazon account to watch these. Wow. Um, so really? I think this is awesome. Like regardless of everything going on in the world, this is so much better for me as a viewer to be able to watch these festival films um, in a way that's not so... Well, in America, <laughs> in, in, in one place. Because um, this festival, I, I, I read a lot of reporters and reviewers who go, go to these festivals, watch all these movies. It sounds so much fun. And a lot of my favorite movies kind of debut at this festival. So the fact that I'm actually going to be able to watch along uh, this year is so exciting. Yeah, this is the thing that I wanted to see with Black Widow, you know, and, and it's mm. so exciting to see this. You know, if we're not going to get it with Disney, fair enough. But it, it's cool to see these companies... Um, teaming up to do something so creative, so different. I am incredibly excited. And, and as you said, Benny, South by Southwest is one of the big ones. So 
This is no, this is no small little underground crappy festival. This is, this is, this is where a lot of these A twenty four films are picked up, and mm-hmm. you know, interesting, interesting stuff. I'm super, super curious as to how they're going to do this. Um, from like a like, how long will they release the films for? Like, will it be available for a day? Um, will it be available for like a single screening, and then you just got to like, you got to show up for that time. Um, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I'm fascinated to see how they're going to do this because if you think about it, you know, if they just make them available for like a week or two, that's essentially giving that film a wide release. And one of the things that you kind of want, like one of the, I guess, benefits of South by Southwest is that it is a very limited release that you can kind of build up this, you know, um, word of mouth and you can kind of build up this hype behind a film and then you can distribute it and you can kind of like, it's a platform for a lot of filmmakers to kind of give their film legs. And if you're doing, you know, if you're, you're doing that as like a wide release where everyone can watch it and can watch it easily, I, I wonder if that kind of devalues South by Southwest, if, if that kind of takes away its um, part of its purpose. I mean, from my perspective, that's an interesting train of thought and not something that I had thought about. But from my perspective, I'm thinking like, you know, you know, average Joe going to watch Black Widow, um, you know, Mr. Normie, you know, little Mr. Normie over there doing his thing with his, with his belt and his pants and whatnot. Um, you know, that, that guy, is he going to be interested in South by Southwest? You know, you've got to be of a certain... Um, you know, higher intelligence uh, and echelon. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> but you know, you got to, you got, you've got, you've got. Well, to I, was, be... I was about to say that guy's never heard of Southwest, but now you make me sound but, like you know, maybe some. You know, I think my mom, for example, wouldn't maybe might check a couple of these out. You know, whilst, um, you know. Uh, I think people who maybe have heard of South by Southwest, who are maybe into a little bit more artsy films or like to go see something a little bit more off the, off the beaten track, who haven't had the opportunity, and especially in countries like Australia, you know, this really opens it up and makes it, well, what is this festival? You know, this is totally um, uncharted territory. So I understand, like, what is this festival? What does it become? But I think it's going to rope in a lot of those sort of exterior people who are maybe not necessarily die, die hard, you know, South by Southwest. They're going to be at Sydney film festival it'll be that next outer ring of people that will also be able to check this out which i think is just fantastic and and really exciting yeah i think this will just turn all of those people like me who hear about the films at south by southwest and are like oh i've heard about this one i really want to see this i want to bring people to go see this movie when i finally have the opportunity turn those people into the people who have seen it, like the reviewers being like, everyone has to see this movie. I want to watch this again. I want to tell everyone I know to go watch this as well. Um, Cause that's just generally how I re- react to these sort of things. So I'm keen. I'm so keen. <laughs> Cannot wait. Is that all the news? Oh, no. In so much as that was news. Yeah. It's all we wanted to talk about only the good stuff here, but as it is, the outbreak of COVID-19, we thought we would go and give our a few little um, favorites of uh, zombie films or maybe some new ones that we haven't ever seen before. So we're each going to go one by one, 
bring a, a zombie film to the table. We're going to give our top three here or our three picks for this particular episode and just talk about them. I mean, the, the really cool thing that I, I, I've seen sort of taken away from this, seeing a, these zombie movies is just how, mu how much fun it is to play with the genre. You know, what type of zombies are they? How are the mechanisms work? work? How, well, how does the outbreak happen? And, and the different framing and types of narratives and, and and genres you can frame around the zombie the zombie archetype you know it's it's um it's it's so cool um and there's a lot of rubbish in there with zombie films you know let's be honest but there's some really fantastic ones and I, I had a I had a great time and I'm I'm really excited to bring my picks forward so I don't know who, who wants to go first Benny you know we're normally in our seats you know we oh. normally go oh no Connor you want to go first yeah because I think this will work well because there's okay. an obvious follow up for you. Okay, perfect. Um, so my first off the list, which is probably one of, if not my absolute favorite zombie film, um, is uh, someone unsurprisingly 28 Days Later. Um, it's, uh, I, I remember that being a film that I watched and was kind of, remember that first indication of like, liking the fact that this was not a movie about a zombie outbreak it was about, you know, uh, a situation that had already developed. So it wasn't about that kind of like first infection and, and you know, how that spread or something like that. You came into the story having had people, uh, you know, adjusted, so to speak, um, into the new norm. Um, and and I, I really liked that concept. Um, from an execution point of view, I really love this film as well. Um, I was, um, I always, I always bugger up his name. It's Cillian Murphy, right? Or not Killian Murphy. Killian Which Murphy. Which one is it? Killian. All right. Um, I, I was watching a interview that he did um, and he was talking about this, like those opening shots about how they got that. And they had, they had set up um, like cheap, um, uh, you know, cheap recorders um, and, you know, they would shut off like, you know, big sections of London and then he would walk through and they kind of just hoped that they got the footage. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it seemed to have worked out great. And I was like, fuck man, that, like, I, I just love that little Timbit. And it's obviously such a, it's turned into such an iconic um, sequence of, you know, him waking up and exploring this um, abandoned London. Um, and so, yeah, I just, that, that for me is a really iconic kind of classic um, zombie film. Connor, I, can you just turn off your camera, man? Because I think your bandwidth's getting messed up and uh, you're just skipping a little bit every now and yep, then. Yep, yep. Um, but yeah, I watched this this week. Bye. Later. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> now you can get naked. Um, uh, yeah, I watched this this week and what a fascinating Already halfway watch, there. man. Um, Woohoo! Uh, you know what? You know what's so amazing about this film is the fact that it's all shot on handy cam, so it's got a really grainy look. But Danny Boyle manages to keep the cinematography interesting. He shoots through a lot of windows. He shoots through a lot of different. Um, glass and and reflections and he has it has the most visceral shaky cam style and the editing and everything it's so well put together it's really masterful film terribly creepy that opening scene connor that you were mentioning before where he's walking through london and that 
song, that instrumental rock song, just gradually mm. building up in this frantic way as this guy is starting to unravel. Like I am starting to figure out what the fuck's going on. Um, amazing stuff. And then some of the, you know, the George A. Romero um, themes at the end, you know, um, you know, we're not the, the zombies, not really the bad guy. It's the human beings that, that are the true evil um, in these films. And, and we get that theme come through. And then what I loved about this film was the, the last scenes. And it was all shot on 35 mil for the last few shots. Um, spoilers to those who, sorry, if you haven't seen this, it's not really a big spoiler, but it goes from this really grainy um, handy cam style to this, this 35 mil, beautiful, crisp, and 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 it's um it's just such a well thought out film and shows you how how fantastic of a film director or a visionary um, Danny Boyle is and, and bringing some totally new flavors to the zombie zombie genre. You mentioned that amazing yeah. score I by mean, John I, Murphy as well, Georgie, which is one that I I listen to all the time. I, I love his stuff in that. Um, and this, this movie's a really yeah, cool mix really of like um, a, a classic zombie movie while at the same time being an absolute kind of groundbreaking game changer for zombie movies. Cause this is really the one that introduced the fast zombie, you know, the, the infected, the, the, the runners, the ones who aren't just rigor mortis who want to yeah. bite you. Um, and that, that has kind of changed all zombie shit forever from there. Truly terrifying. I love, there's, I mean, there's now a kind of trope in zombie films where it's like, is it the fast or slow type of zombie? Um, <laughs> mm. And it kind of feels like it, it feels weird to think of a time that that wasn't the case, like where, you know, you could, you didn't have that option. Yeah. But this, this is, um, I was so impressed with watching this film and, and I know Connie, you mentioned that it's the, 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 the film, um, is sort of about the outbreak that's already happened, but you get the first scene with the, the sort of vegan animal activists letting these monkeys out and they've got the rage virus and it's so gruesome and bloody. And it's like, wow, I, I you get a sense of what is to come. And, and I remember seeing this film when I was a kid, I think um, 15 years old and it freaked me the fuck out in the cinema. Um, and I still got freaked out in this. It was, it's so great. Um, as a horror film, as a zombie film, 28 Days Later, incredible stuff. Do you guys have any thoughts Intense. on 28 Weeks Later? Well, that's probably a good point for me to bring in my first um, Funny you shouldn't mention that, Ben. Because I watched 28 Weeks Later this week. And, um, Perfect. So th this is a massive drop, but still has some really interesting stuff in here. Um, there's, there's so much in 28 Days Later. There's some really, really iconic stuff in here. You've got the... In 28 Days Later, you've got the, the scene with Killian Murphy walking through London. You've got the eye drop scene with um, uh, bloody um, Brendan Gleeson. Um, you know, you've got this, the, the, there's just some really iconic scenes and moments in that. And 28, 28 Weeks Later, whilst it expands in the world building, is really, really cool. The idea that there's this, this secondary sort of isolated world that's formed and there, and everything's kind of reshaping up nicely and then an outbreak to occur in that. You know, there was some interesting stuff in there and, and some interesting stuff with the law, with the heterochromia, the different colored eyes, but ultimately the characters 
it, it truly shows you how just the character work done in 28 week, Days Later is so far superior and you don't really care about these characters at the end. Um, it's it, it still got some great scenes like the helicopter shaving off all the zombies in the field and, and you know, decapitating them. That's really fun. But ultimately, it's just not it – just a, it really does pale in comparison to the original. Yeah, I mean, you do talk about um, iconic scenes, though, and that that scene of the uh, Don or whatever his name is. Um, I was just trying to look up the names um, of of him running away from his family. I think that's that. Oh yeah, is one of those scenes that has stuck with me, um, and it doesn't even feel like it belongs in that film because that that singular scene is so fucking good, and it conveys such a kind of uh, intensity that you know i i give that movie a pass grade on on <laughs> uh on that scene alone it's funny i remember so little of the, of that sequel film but there is one part of that that stands um in my mind more than probably anything else in either film which is just when they're they're all in the shelter and someone gets infected somehow i don't quite remember but it it just turns this this locked in shelter into an absolute meat grinder yeah. of people tearing each other apart. It's, it's the horrific. Dad. It really spooked me. Yeah, the dad because is that when he goes and he doesn't he kiss his wife or something? Yes, and she's, uh, it, she's oh, it's yeah. horrible. Yeah, yeah, she's got the heterochromia and she's yeah, got yeah, the yeah. virus, like a suppressed version of the virus, and then he starts going mental. And and him as the bad guy as a human being, as well as, as a zombie. Yeah. He's a, he's an awesome character and there's no doubt. I, I can't remember that actor's name, but he was very famous English actor. And, and I was and trying Connor, to find his right. name. Yeah. You're hundred percent right. Connor. that, that opening scene is just gut wrenching. Um, and, and it's really well put together, but I don't think it really gets much better than that to be perfectly frank. No, I mean, that is definitely the highlight of that film. Um, and everything post that is, you know, when I did watch it, I, I remember it being good, but there's no touching 28 days, right? Like it's just, it's, yeah. it's, it hasn't cemented itself as that kind of, um, that level of, of, you know, awesome, I suppose. Worth mentioning that Jeremy Ren is, is one of the leads, which yeah. is a, a just- weird fact about that movie. He's just snipering people the whole time. And literally half of the movie, he's looking down a, a, a sniper barrel. And also, fun yeah. fact, Idris Elba's in this with a fucking oh, yeah? sexy mo. Just, yeah. And Rose Burns <laughs> in this as well. So nice. It's got you know, a lot of talent to come through. This is 2007. So uh, very, very uh, interesting to sort of see those guys a couple of years ago. I'd be keen to see 28 years Robert, later one day. Robert Let's bring it. Robert, yeah. Car- Ro- Robert Carlyle. Carlisle. Transporting. Scottish yeah. actor. Yes. Yeah. Um, Benny. Yeah. Um, so I, um, I didn't really want to face the prospect of just watching zombie movies all week. Um, so I was kind of focusing more on the, um, the zombie and just general outbreak stuff. Cool. The, a little bit of variety. Fantastic. Um, uh, but to, to segue directly into zombies, I, I watched something a very recent movie that I, I, I consider kind of the archetypal zombie movie. It's, it, it does everything every zombie movie's ever done, but I think it does it almost better than, than any of them, which is um, Train to Busan by Yon Sang-ho, um, which is, I believe, on, on Netflix. Um, just a very simple premise that we've seen before uh, on paper. Uh, a zombie outbreak begins in Korea. Um, 
and we kind of view it uh, through the small lens of it happening just on a train um, for most of the movie. Um, people kind of moving through the carriages, kind of similar to Snowpiercer. Um, and it, it really just boils down everything you could ever want from a zombie movie and, and executes it perfectly in this one film. I, I think it's like the, the gold standard for zombie films. Yeah, I still need to see this, man. Like, I, I was supposed wow. to watch it this week, uh, but that'll be, de- I'll definitely report in for next week because that is 100% on my list. I cannot mm. wait to watch this. Every, I, I was scanning all these lists this week to figure out what zombie films I was going to watch, and that was kept popping up again and again. I, I know it's so great. My wife was watching it three or four times and says, why haven't you watched it? So, um, <laughs> you know, I have no excuse at this stage, and I've failed everyone. Basically where well, one of the great portrayals of zombies, they're like, they, they really feel like undead, inhuman creatures, the way that they just throw themselves around um, like just demonic gymnasts. Um, it's really something to see. Um, and there is, a, there is a prequel, Soul Station, um, which is animated, which I've heard is really cool. And there's a sequel uh, on the way as well. Yeah, big news oh, wow. about that. <clears throat> Uh, yeah, you haven't seen this, Connor? No, I haven't. It, it, it's, again, it, it shows up on all the lists of like top zombie films and it's obviously something that's on my radar. Um, I went through, I went for a bit of a different tact with the, uh, you know, my other two films. Uh, um, but uh, it is certainly on my list to see. And the zombies, yeah, all the images I've seen of the zombies, they look absolutely <laughs> terrifying. The makeup looks fantastic. I, I just can't wait to watch this. Yeah, cool. So I'll report in next week, folks. Oh, it's, it's back to me, isn't it? Back to you. What's um, the pick? Right, so for my re- two remaining um, ones, I, I kind of... I, I got sidetracked on this uh, idea of doing, like, uh, expanding the genre. And looked at um, comedy, um, zombie comedies. And uh, there's quite a few to, to choose from, but there's one that had caught my eye a while back, and I was interested to see if it was any good, and that's Cooties, which is the Elijah Wood um, zombie film that is about teachers that um, get caught in a uh, zombie outbreak in a school that the, the zombie uh, virus only affects the kids. Um, and I thought that on a concept level, there was a, a lot that they could do with that. I thought that there was going to be um, some really fun stuff um, associated with that. Um, in in reality, uh, <laughs> it was pretty bad. Um, and yeah, and I think that it it kind of fell victim to that idea of movies kind of running with a premise and then not really caring about everything else, right? Like everything, you know, the kind of the character development felt very, um, very iffy. The, the, the plot felt very iffy. The, um, you know, even the, some of the acting was pretty, pretty average. Um, then, uh, you know, the acting and the writing, um, really, uh, which made me very surprised because this is um, co-written by Lee Winnell, um, who we've all seen, you know, kind of do some really good stuff lately, um, including Upgrade and um, uh, The Invisible Man. So, you know, I was, I was quite shocked to see when I saw that. Um, 
but yeah, it was, it, for me, it was kind of this, this is a little exploration into how a, a good concept, um, particularly with something like zombies, um, is not enough to carry a film, right? Like, you know, all the really good zombie films that we, that, that we will talk about have something else to them. Like, you know, with the 28 days later, they're kind of exploring, not, not just about how to get away from zombies, but it's, you know, how do these kinds of situations bring out the worst in us and also the best in us, you know, um, even 28 weeks later, like it, it explores some interesting concepts that it, it has some very, you know, in terms of the visuals um, and the actual execution of a zombie film, it's a very good, like you're talking Ben, about the, the meat grinder, that kind of scene can stick with you. Um, and this movie just didn't have any of that, right? Like it just didn't, you didn't really execute on any of the potentials. Yeah. If I could just tuck in quickly, another one that I watched, um, that it, it wasn't really great enough to kind of mention, but was interesting and definitely uh, did that thing where it had an interesting concept that they could explore a lot out of. I watched that Ellen Page film, The, the Cured, um, about a post-zombie outbreak world in which they actually found a cure for it and managed to cure, I think, 75% of the infected, um, but those people could remember everything they'd done. Um, oh, cool. And it's, it's, it's oh. set in Ireland, and it's just this really interesting, divided world where you know you have the 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 people who lived through a zombie outbreak and just do not trust these people who are infected who have this little um mark in their eye that kind of distinguishes them from from other people and um it it had some really interesting stuff in it a very awesome concept metaphorical yeah and it was pretty good it was pretty good but not not a not a Mm -hmm. knockout Mm -hmm. interesting interesting yeah that 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 sounds fascinating, and in this one, Connor, that you brought to the table, uh, uh, yeah, I've just had a look at it, and forty nine on Rotten Tomatoes. You know, I'm not going to say Rotten Tomatoes is the be all end all, but you know, the metrics are there for you. Yeah, I think I just I I I, I figured that it had a solid enough concept and Group with talent. Like, you know, I can you can you can definitely imagine how that film could be really good yeah you know, written by lee winnell produced by elijah wood had a lot of other like actors that were really good and, and like the acting talent in it is is decent right so yeah um it just uh you know didn't come together so my second pick is peter jackson's third feature uh brain dead which is just a fantastic film from the early 90s i, I really do love going back to watch director's first films and uh i have not done that with peter jackson and to see him at work here is fantastic i mean a lot of the same people that still work with him today fran walsh his wife um all the um you know uh all the um the the technical team of the special effects um you know i'm sure it's the it's the same bunch of people so you know, it's um, this the basic the basic story behind this film is is this um, this guy his his mother is very oppressive of him. He's he's an only child, and his his mother becomes uh, get, gets infected and becomes a zombie, and it's this unfolding of this situation. And it reminds me it reminded me a lot of Reanimator. It sort of seems like very sort of like closed down situation. Um, only a couple sets in there. Uh, but it, it really is just so well put together. The characters are that fantastic. And I turned to my wife. We're about 25 minutes into the, into the piece. And I was like, I get this character 
so much more than all these other people in 28 Weeks Later because we watched those sort of back to back. I was like, I, I get this character. I know what he's about. I've got, I, I understand him back to back. And that's really just great writing and, and storytelling. So, um, you know, schlocky effects, like the final scenes, if you haven't seen this before, the final scenes with the lawnmower, oh my goodness, amazing stuff. Um, super gory, super out there. A fun time if you're into practical effects and schlocky, um, his, schlocky stuff with, with, stuff with before, great, story, um, great stories and a great script. His stuff before Lord of the Rings, before he kind of blew up, was all of that style of like just incredibly schlocky, really out there, um, which I, I kind of love, man. Oh, it's so great. Have you seen Bad Taste, Georgie? <laughs> I have to see that. Hmm. Yeah, I've only seen bits and pieces of his early movies, but they are fucking off the wall. Uh, it's so much fun. And, you know, like mm-hmm. the amount of work involved, like the shot list is insane. He really gets so much in, the, in, in this film. It's, um, it's fantastic to see. And you can see where, you can see a lot of the Peter Jackson fingerprint that he has in Lord of the Rings in here as well. So I love seeing that kind of stuff. And, and this mm. film, for those who don't know, this film is released as Dead Alive in North America. So um, maybe, uh, yeah, yeah, so that's another little thing. So that's my second pick. Benny, what's your second pick? Um, so one I sat down to watch this week that I I don't even know why I actually put it on is um, The Bay, directed by Barry Levinson, um, who directed Rain Man, funnily enough. Um, so this is like a 2011 movie. Um, I only knew it as being like kind of a shitty found footage film when that was really, really picking up steam after um, Paranormal Activity came out. Um, and... I was really surprised to find that that's not what it actually is. Um, it's a it's a mockumentary film about um, a, a, a viral or fungal or some kind of outbreak in a small um, uh, seaside town uh, in America. Um, and I eventually, uh, when the credits rolled, saw that it was actually produced by Owen Pelly, the director of um, uh, Paranormal Activity, and uh, Jason Blum, uh, which is cool. Oh wow. Um, and that was kind of was an indication of why it was a much better movie than I was ex- expecting. Um, now, this is, is no masterpiece by any means, but it is a really, it is so committed to being a convincingly made documentary. Um, like the entire film is shot through so many different kinds of footage, so many different like qualities of footage, um, like different kinds of film and, and like streaming quality and, uh, interviews and security footage, different aspect ratios. Um, if it weren't so extremely outlandish, unbelievably violent and um, insensitive, I guess, to all of the people who die in it, you could believe it was an actual documentary about an outbreak. Um, it's, like I said, this is not an amazing film, but it really did take some interesting turns that I wasn't expecting. And it's very clearly based um, quite firmly in... Um, science and reality um taken to a very fantastical level um but everything that happens in it is just like this weird coalescence of all these different kind of man-made issues that turn into uh, a, a really quite horrific series of events on this on this little town um it was pretty fun <laughs> i gotta say 
This does sound fun. Yeah. That's, I, I'm actually quite happy to hear that. I, I, I yeah, think... no, I, here you go. Sorry, go ahead. No, you go. Okay. Um, I, I think it, it's really interesting watching movies that, um, given our current situation, focus on the, the human response to, to this sort of stuff, um, and kind of really put forward quite accurately, it seems, just how unprepared the world is to, um, accept that something really bad is happening and we need to, um, kind of tackle it very head on. Um, and that's completely understandable. That's from, from, a, from a, a, a personal single person level to like a gov- governmental level. Like that, that makes complete sense. Like, you know, bystander syndrome and just all these half measures, but, um, yeah, seeing that kind of on, on this, in this kind of microcosm of this film, um, it was quite, quite apt. I'm really, really keen to check this out, man. I'm very interested now. Yeah, adjust your expectations, <laughs> but it's it's not bad. <laughs> Even just on a, just a presentation or a um, concept level, you know, it's I'd, I'd love to just check this out. Mm. Good pick. I've never heard of that film, and I did. I, I reckon you'd probably recognize it a, if you saw like the poster or something, right? Well, I'm looking at it now, and I don't recognize it. The no, yeah, it, it's very like I should just leave this and not watch it. Like it seems like that. Yeah, it looks <laughs> yeah. like that from yeah. the poster. Yeah, Connor, what's your third pick, dude? Two. So, I kind of alluded to this when I said that I I, I checked out um, uh, whatever it's called, Cooties, um, but there was a, a more recent one that had a very similar concept and. In, in the vein of um, zombie comedy um, that, you know, involved kids and all that. And that was um, Little Monsters, which is the Lupita Nyong'o um, and Josh Gad film, um, Australian film. And um, that kind of on a concept level seemed very similar, um, but on an execution level seemed far better. Um, and... Um, upon watching it, it was, you know, million times better. Um, this is actually a really, this is kind of, I think one of the cool things about the zombie genre is that it does have an enormous amount of diversity and you have room for this kind of, I guess, uh, you know, film that has, it's almost a musical, uh, if I'm um, to be honest, right? Like, you know, a lot of it is um, uh, Nyong'o's character singing to her class on her ukulele. And it and kind of towards the end, kind of, it, it struck me about how much of this film was musical. And I thought that that's, that's kind of fantastic that they were able to incorporate that into, uh, um, into this genre. Um, you know, I think that, you know, once you get past the 20 minute mark on this film, um, you know, it, it ramps up real quick and, um, and I just, yeah, I re- I really enjoyed this film and Josh Gad was, was fantastic in it as well. He plays such a, um, a dislikable character. Um, yeah. Yeah. I thought the trailers for this one looked fun. Um, one thing that, that stood out to me is it looked like it really wasn't, despite being full of children, pulling any punches of being like an actual proper zombie film. Did it deliver on that front? Oh yeah, blood and guts, and and I thought that the um, execution on the actual zombies was um, 
was surprisingly good, right? Like it, um, the the makeup on him looked um, looked really solid. Um, nice. So yeah, it it checks all the boxes as a zombie film, and that's what I really loved, right? Like they didn't sacrifice any of the, um, I guess the genre in order to make something that was funny um, uh, or that dealt with, you know, like school children. Um, sorry to do it to you again, George. We'll, we'll get right back to you. But, Connie, you've thrown me another segue that I can't ignore. Um, you mentioned that this movie is almost a musical. Um, one I watched earlier uh, in the year was an actual zombie musical. I don't know if you guys remember watching did the you, trailer for this, Anna and the Did Apocalypse. you watch that? Yeah, yeah. 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 I, thought looked, I thought it looked really fun. Um, and sure enough, it was not amazing. I ended up quite loving the musical aspects of it. I thought the, the soundtrack was fantastic. Um, and just like Little Monsters, evidently, it really did not hold back at all in terms of being a full-on zombie movie. So I really appreciated the fact that they were aiming for such a small audience, people who love musicals and people who love hardcore zombie movies. Um, and just really committed to it. Um, it. It was it was definitely fun and worth a, a watch, if only for the novelty. And like I said, I really enjoyed the soundtrack. But yeah, that was a really interesting one too. I'm so sorry, yeah. I just yawned. Then, <laughs> um, Connor, would you recommend May, that I, one I, that you I watch to constantly? Me? Uh, Little Monsters. Yeah, well, I enjoyed um, that yeah, one. look, I think that's not really up my alley because musicals, you know. Well, you no, hated the it's, it's not a musical. I did. I, it's, I did hate the trailers. <laughs> it is not a musical, um, but there was more music aspect to it than I thought. Um, anticipated, look, yeah. It's, it's really difficult to recommend this. It's because it's, it's not, you're not going to get the kind of de- character development that you get in 28 Days Later, right? Like it's not that kind of gritty, you know, you, you don't go into it for that kind of level, right? Um, but in terms of having a, a fun time, um, you know, I, I think this is easily, easily a watch and a recommend. Nice one. Uh, my third pick this week was one of my absolute favorite films and, uh, something that I just love putting on. I watched it on Blu-ray. I cracked out the old Blu-ray Paranorman, uh, like as Paranorman, which is uh, honestly, this is the shit, man. Like this film is of another class, Leica's production of, of, of another class. They, um, this film is so timeless in its look. I couldn't believe this came out in 2012. It doesn't look a day old. Um, the production techniques in this, it's actually a really scary film. Uh, my wife, Asha and I, my wife, we were saying, you know, if I was eight years old, this would be freaky as fuck. There's some actual horror elements to this. It is like, I I said, this is so uncommercial. You know, Leica, there's no attempt to make money with these films. This is pure art. And I just, I am just in awe of this film. I think it could be my, no, it's it's up there with Kubo as um, my two favorites for Leica Productions. It is outstanding stuff. Yeah, easily my favorite uh, Leica film. I, I, I find generally with Leica, there is something holding me back from most of their films from like absolutely head of heels loving them. It, it's, I generally more respect them um, yes. than love them, but, but Paranorman I, I find I was actually just so impressed with um, on, on every level. Um, gorgeous film, 
really touching, uh, really surprising, really dark. Um, I, I really hope everyone's kind of done their due diligence and sort this film out. It, it, it's just incredible. I love the little reference as well to Halloween with the ringtone and there's a little Easter egg looking out the window with the Jason Voorhees mask. That was really fun in there. Um, and, 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 and just the folklore, the density in this film, um, it, it's actually really, really outstanding stuff on, on every aspect of this film. I cannot fault it. I think, um, I, what was something I wanted to bring up about, um, something I wanted to bring up specifically about this. I can't, I can't remember, but Con- Connor, have you, have you seen Paranorman? Yep. And I was, I was shocked by that film. Like that, that film was so much like, I, not that I thought that it was going to be bad, but I really enjoyed that film. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's just, it's just incredible stuff. I think, um, I remember the point. I think it's, this is quite a progressive film and it brings a lot of interesting um, things to the table. And, you know, there's one character, he's gay and there's, you know, there's just some really interesting stuff in here. And I just, I respect this film on so many levels. I love that the, the one character is stop, in a stop motion. There's a guy with the, the ear gauges and he's kind of like a punk metal kid. Um, I, I think like there's so much fun stuff in here. I know that sounds really a silly little detail to pick up on, but I just, I got a kick out of that. So yeah, Paranorman in terms of zombie is just one of the best. And if not one of the best, probably the best, one of the best um, stop motion animation features to ever be put together. Benny, number three. Um, You know, I can't help myself. Just a little side one. I'm only one episode in. um, But a TV series from almost a decade ago, I think, created by Charlie Brooker, who made Black Mirror. Um, he made a series called Dead Set, which is uh, literally just about a bunch of people in the Big Brother house during a zombie outbreak. Um, so they're, they're you know, trapped. Everyone moves Big Brother. <laughs> um, they're trapped in, in the Big Brother house. They don't realize what is happening in the outside world. And it's just a really fun little look at kind of what gets ignored in a lot of zombie fiction, which is all of the really specific areas where people's experience of a zombie outbreak would be really different to the the, the mainstream kind of general um, how it unfo- unfolds because it kind of happens in a similar way in most of these movies. Um, 28 Days Later is a great example of like a really different take on that. Um, and, and this, I'm, I'm very intrigued so far. I'm going to see where it goes. Speaking of series um, that I want to check out, I know I'm, we'll get through it eventually, um, was uh, Kingdom. I'm very interested to see that. I was going to mention that, yeah. Mm. Yeah, Yeah, 16th century Korea, epic zombie fantasy. I'm I'm probably going to start watching that this week. I'm very interested. Um, And so for for my my third pick here, um, another not not really zombie movie, It Comes at Night, um, directed by Trey Edward Schultz. Um, Now, this is your kind of post-apocalyptic after the outbreak world, um, we're basically just watching this one um, one kind of group of people in the woods um, in this decimated world um, where, as a viewer, you don't really know what has happened um, to these people. All you know is that they are so, so afraid, so paranoid and so precautious. Um, and I, I don't want to really reveal anything about this movie. I would say do not watch the trailer because it alludes to certain things that, 
is not the direction the film goes. A lot of people were unhappy with this movie when they finally saw it because it is not necessarily what you're expecting. Um, I'm the kind of viewer where I froth that shit. I like give me movies that surprise me um, all day long. Um, and I remember when I first watched this movie, um, just seeing it unfold and realizing what it was actually about um, and, and getting to, to the end and just sitting in the theater for like 10 minutes being like, holy fuck, I'm kind of blown away by that. Um, so yeah, this is not great for a podcast necessarily. This is more just one I'm saying, go, go and see for yourself. Yeah. I mean, this is outstanding stuff. You recommended this to me. I remember watching this in Scotland on my honeymoon. Um, it is just one of those films that I had an incredible experience with. Um, I can't even imagine what it was like seeing in the cinema, uh, but conceptually and also in terms of the dynamics between the characters that's what this film is all about and it mm. is tense joel edgerton mm. gives a performance of a lifetime it's the fav my favorite thing that he's in uh and man this works on so many levels i wanted to put it on this week um and i need to give it a rewatch 100 percent funny that you mentioned um watching it in the cinema and what that must be like because that actually really added something very specific to this movie that I'll never forget was um, I was so blown away by the movie. I sat all the way to the end of the credits and, and just sat there for a little while in the cinema reading about it. Cause it's, you know, one of those ones that just gets in your brain. Yeah. Um, and it was the last session. It was like a nine thirty PM session. I had been alone in the cinema and um, I sat there long enough that the cinema shut down and all the lights went down in the giant auditorium oh I was goodness. in. And I have never bolted so fast out of a cinema in my life because, oh, like, as God. soon as that darkness was, like, slipping its fingers <laughs> over me, I'm like, I am out of here. I think I shivered out of the cinema more oh than Oh, my ran. goodness. <laughs> That's so scary, man. That's, like, my worst nightmare. Uh, uh, God, when we had to check the cinema at nighttime uh, on the closed shift, that used that to was... scare the shit out of me, man. <laughs> no good. No good for the soul. Well, that was heaps of fun. Great. Awesome recommends there. Um, uh, sorry, have we have we just mitigated completely talking about it? It comes at night. Or was there anything else to to discuss there? No, that that was it. The less you know, cool. the better. You don't want to yeah. talk too much about it. Yeah, yeah, agreed, agreed. Well, that was a ton of fun. I, I there are a couple more recommends there um, to to check out, and um, I, I I just had so much fun this week. We're, we're going to do this again next week. Does anyone want to bring any ideas to the table for next week? Ooh. Nope. I had one. No, I have to have to think about it. All right, yeah, let's hear it. 90s sci-fi. <laughs> the abyss. So just our regular viewing. Just our regular shit. 90s sci-fi, anything. Has, let's do it. Let's do it. So, right. so we're going to do a similar thing next week, guys. There's going to be no more news, so you know, and I'm not doing much <laughs> at night time, so I'm really enjoying watching all these films. Hit us up with um, any zombie recommends that you guys have at home. You know, um, always looking for some off the beaten track stuff. So um, let us know if there's any gems out there that we maybe don't know about. Um, and we'll be back next week. Thanks to everyone for our patience last week with us missing. Um, we, you know, thank you for everyone who's listening in. Hope you're. Well at home. If there's any type of content you want to hear from us, we're all ears because we're, you know, we're we're, we're trying to figure this whole thing out. So if there's any, any type of content. 
you know, any, you want to set up a podcast strikes back only fans account, you know, if there's demand, you know, I need a bit of extra cash on the side, you know, so yeah. <laughs> let's diversify the portfolio. Um, uh, diversify the risk, they say. Anyway, this has been fun. Good to catch up. See you next week, Carno and Benny. Catch you guys. Bye. Bye.